Welcome, 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 welcome to another episode of the Sunday Punch Podcast. We are here again with Aiden Grogan. Going to make this a weekly thing. Um, we're talking secret societies. Secret. I, um, I've been watching one YouTube video. I had to work late last night and I didn't get to do the research on this like I usually do. So I'm going to let you hold court here on, on the secret society discussion. But I was just watching a video about secret societies and, um, you know, the entire soundtrack is like, and then they would meet in the corridor. Like the sinister music. And they'd be like, and then they made a rule book. It's like, does it always, it might not be that sinister. I think it's just a, like, I was just telling you, Maybe just a bunch of people that want like like-minded ideals, but we're gonna get into it. Maybe they are sinister. Maybe they are, you know, ruling the world in it with an evil mindset. But first, it's Saturday morning, but we always know it's Friday night. Friday night. I'm thinking that we just might fly away to someplace they don't know who we are. Now I'm riding shotgun in your car. We drive through the city like explorers going 65. Flowing hair flying across your face. We left on Friday, now it's Saturday. Press jeans buttoned up, jeans iron slipping up. Red shoes walking slow, headphones blaring three stacks. Sunglasses flaring out, thick watch hanging low. Studded belt pulled taut, three stacks on the radio. Friday night, I'm thinking that we just might run away to some place we we can be who we are we can be who we are thank you for joining me so last night actually i did have a a nightmare i woke up and i thought someone was standing in the room with me I couldn't make it out. I thought it was. I thought I was being recruited to a secret society, dude. That's how they do it. I heard that is how they do it. That was a member of the ancient Mesopotamian priesthood standing at your bedside. Oh, okay. That's why he kept like doing this chant. I couldn't. Yeah. Do you do you dream anymore? By the way, I only have nightmares, or I don't remember anything, and I wake up. I just I just dream like any other person. Wake up thinking, what the heck was that? And then I go about my day. But like, it's nice. Like, it's a nice dream. Yeah. Like, you've, like, I remember as a kid, like, I'd be flying. I haven't flown in years. Yeah. I it's always had... something scary. Yeah. I haven't had an awesome dream in a long time. It's typically just something stupid. Just feels like it's like everyday life. Then you wake up and it's done. Yeah. Have you ever had a dream where you're like working <laughs> and then you wake up and you have to go to work? I probably have, yeah. <laughs> but it's good to wake up and then it's Saturday. Yes, that is true. Okay, how do you want to do this? Let's let's break down why the history of secret societies, why they were born into existence. Okay. And my thoughts. So we're going to go back to the very start of civilization 8,000 years ago in the land of Mesopotamia, which is the region between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, present-day Iraq. The priesthood of Samaria, the high priests, discovered the existence of a solar year. And therefore, they understood that, well, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers are going to flood at around the same time every single year. They're going to flood in the springtime. The priesthood knew that they were the only ones who understood that. So that gave them power over the people of Samaria. So they would claim they had magical powers or they were gods and could foretell Mm. the flooding of the rivers every single year. So this allowed them to acquire more power and more profit. So that is one purpose of secret societies dating back to the beginning. I'm not saying that they were always sinister, but that is one aspect of secret societies where a small group gets together They acquire knowledge and then they say, instead of making this public to the masses, let's keep it secret so we can try to manipulate and control others. 
Okay. They realize that we have a lot of power as a few as few people that know that this is going to happen. And so that we're going to announce that it's going to happen. They're going to see it happen. And now they'll listen to us with our other suggestions. Exactly. Because they okay. think that we have the power to predict and control the future. Right. So that was Babylon. Now, something strange that you find in all ancient secret societies, or most of them, is the existence of these giant pyramidic structures, sort of like the one that we have on the back of the U.S. dollar. Right. You found those in Mesopotamia. For, for those listening, that's the pyramid with the eye yes. looking out yes. and kind of looks like the uh, Lord of the Rings. Right. Um, so in Sumeria, they were called ziggurats. In Egypt, they were just the pyramids. But then you also found ziggurats across the Atlantic Ocean in Latin America. Mm -hmm. So the question is, why were these built everywhere? We know that they were places where the high priests would commune with the gods and maybe do sacrifice types of rituals at the pyramids. Yeah. At the, at the top and the ziggurat top. ziggurat meaned peak in the Sumerian language, cuneiform. Um, so there's different theories as to how these pyramids came about. Some people say aliens built them, but right. the, explanation do you want to get into that or okay you're gonna i don't you're gonna tell i don't me the i don't believe it's aliens okay so i read something somewhere that like each one of those blocks would have taken like six months to make and then move and then with like manual labor to get it into like a pyramid structure that would have taken like 60 yeah. years yeah well there's the biblical theory that there were giants on the earth and uh they were part god part human and they built the pyramids. Now, this is That's where I'm in the Bible. Oh, yeah. The Bible talks about giants, the Nephilim. What book? Genesis. The very oh, beginning. the first one. It just casually. <laughs> I like ends. to skip to the yeah. end. You oh, know? yeah. Yeah. I well, read it, books from the end, yeah. like it, Revelation <laughs> backwards. Yeah. It casually mentions it. It's just like, and there were giants on the earth in those days. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is why this cast is good. I did not know that the, the, Bible was basically like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So the Masonic explanation is quite interesting. This is the Freemasons, which we'll get into, but they did not yet exist yet officially. Okay. Although some claim that they did go back to the ancients. But the Masonic legend, as explained by Manly P. Hall, a 33rd degree initiate of the Freemason secret society, claimed that Atlantis was real. There was actually a super advanced ancient civilization somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean. The rulers of Atlantis were part human, part God. And at some point, there was a great deluge like the Bible speaks about. There was a flood that got rid of the island of Atlantis. But the priesthood escaped by way of their magical ships and sailed to the four corners of the earth, which is a very Masonic term, the four corners of the earth, and instructed the rulers of various states in their esoteric and magical teachings, instructing them first and foremost to build giant pyramids. So this is the explanation then of how you got this in Egypt, in Babylon. But this is just a story they were telling people. Right. Well, see, here's the thing. I don't know if the Masons believe all this literally or symbolically, but regardless, it's part of their ethos. It's part of their esoteric lore. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, by the way, Manly P. Hall writes about it in this book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages. It seems to me that he really believed that, that the Atlanteans were real. Okay. But I need to stop you here because now I'm getting confused. Okay, so we had the the priesthood of that's where they obviously they understood that secret societies were beneficial right so does that information get passed along then like how did that how does that work its way into the freemasons well the freemasons they have all these legends that they went all the way back to the ancient times and i'm about to get into that with the building of the tower of babel because the tower of babel was one of these ziggurats, one of these pyramids that was built in Babylon. The Bible speaks about this. 
and it metaphorically represents this attempt to bring all humans under one vast structure, to unite humanity under a world government, so to speak, have one language throughout the whole world and one race. And then in the Bible, God destroys the Tower of Babel and scatters all the people across the earth, which is the biblical theory about how the different nations and languages came to be. Uh, but the, 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 the Christian explanation is that this was all done through man's pride. They thought that they could replace God as the highest and they themselves could become God. So God said, no, 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 you're not going to do that. I'm going to scatter you across the earth. I'm going to separate you. That The Masons claim that their people, their initiated craftsmen were employed in the building of the Tower of Babel. Okay. So this is a story they're telling people. Yeah. So okay. Manly P. Hall says on page 105 of the secret teachings of all ages and several early Masonic manuscripts, for example, the Harleian, Sloan, Lansdowne, and Edinburgh Kilwinning, it is stated that the craft of initiated builders existed before the deluge and that its members were employed in the building of the Tower of Babel. Okay. And so what is that, the significance of that? Well, the Masons, they're, they're craftsmen, so they're building things. So uh, I, I think that the, the Masonic symbolism is, is all sort of rooted in the fact that they're building something vast. They're working towards something. And, and the Masonic fraternity is, is intended to make good men better. That's, that's the whole purpose okay. of it. So and, and so so where do we progress from? So now we have the Freemasons coming. Right. Well, we got a little into the Freemasons because it's it's unclear where they began. That's what's important about the Freemasons. No one knows when it really started, and no one knows if there were other branches of it, other versions of it before, and now it's just continuing something which was old. Now that is the claim of actual Freemasons like Manly P. Hall. They think that this is the continuation of the ancient mysteries. So, so that's where they get their symbolism of the yeah. pyramid. Okay, okay. Right. And so we'll get a little bit more into the ancient mysteries. So the whole premise of it is in Egypt, in Greece, in, in Babylon, they would initiate qualified young men into their ranks and allegedly reveal to them secrets that could potentially give them power over the whole world. Okay. And they had to be very careful about who they revealed this knowledge to because it could obviously be abused. Now, why what 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 precisely were they what they were teaching? Nobody knows. But Manly P. Hall says that the mysteries were getting a little bit angry at Plato, the philosopher, because he was revealing too much of what they were teaching. And if you read Plato's famous work, The Republic. He advocates for a collectivist society to be ruled by philosopher kings. Private property would be abolished. The nuclear family would be abolished. Even poetry would be abolished. Everything would have to conform to the laws of reason. And you would have these apparently genius philosopher kings who would be like gods and they would reign over the society and it would be a utopia. Mm hmm. And now, shouldn't he have created his own secret society to make that well, come about? He was a follower of Pythagoras and may have been an initiate of the Pythagorean Brotherhood, which was a secret society that worshipped numbers and mathematics and apparently had the secrets of music. Everything was geometry and, and astrology. Um. And according to a newspaper clipping I found from the National Gazette, which was an old American newspaper in the, the 19th century, they said that Pythagoras had conceived the sublime idea of forming a school of enlightened statesmen that would one day govern the world while they themselves were governed by wisdom and virtue. Got it. Okay, so I think that gets into... So then Plato was, you're saying, supposedly a part of that. And then yeah. he starts blabbing about it. A little right? bit, yeah. yeah. And so now, I think we're on the, uh, on the path to, we need to get secrets about these guys so they stop blabbing about it. Mm-hmm. Well... But tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> well, here's what happened. 
a big change in world history came about, well, in the year zero, because <laughs> Jesus Christ came into the world. And whether or not people believe the Christian story, there was a man named Jesus Christ who did start a religious movement that then became a world religion. So after the death of Jesus, his disciples carry out his message across the Mediterranean world. Within a few hundred years, it becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. And once Christianity becomes institutionalized throughout Rome, it comes down on the ancient mysteries that are sort of uh, concealing all these secrets of antiquity. And, and, you know, they were pagans. They were, they were the pagan priesthoods. And one thing I'll say about the pagan religions is they were myths about the forces of nature. So they would create all these, these graven images, as the Bible talks about, these shrines, and they make the public worship the shrines. But then the people who were the initiates of the priesthood would learn, actually, it's all just an allegory. It's, we, we basically made it up. They're just stories. But the, the, the masses have to uh, believe that it's real to keep them in check. So that was how the pagan systems worked. And then if you were an initiate, then you learned the real meaning behind it all. So according to Manly P. Hall, who is, who is the definitive Masonic scholar, the ancient mysteries survived Christianity as it tried to stamp them out in the first few centuries of the current era. Mm-hmm. And they did that by concealing their teachings within Christianity. So they would come forth and say, oh, actually, we're Christian. We, we, we believe in Christ. But then they would claim, well, we know the real Jesus. He was actually one of us. He was one of our initiates. Okay. So this is where we get into an important secret society known as the Rosicrucians. And... Manly P. Hall says, though calling themselves Christians, the Rosicrucians were evidently Platonists, so they were followers of Plato, and also profoundly versed in the deepest mysteries of early Hebrew and Hindu theology. There is undeniable evidence that the Rosicrucians desired to reestablish the institutions of the ancient mysteries as the foremost method of instructing humanity in the secret and eternal doctrine. Then he says... The Rosicrucians were able to maintain themselves against the obliterating forces of dogmatic Christianity only by absolute secrecy and the subtlety of their subterfuges. So the Rosicrucians, they have a symbol called the Rosy Cross, where it's a cross with a rose in it, and it symbolizes a universal medicine that would cure all disease. So essentially, it's going to make man immortal. This is the transhumanist stuff dating back thousands of years but so the rosicrucians have this another mythical founding they all these mythical foundings and we don't know whether or not it has any basis in fact but it was started by a man named christian rosencruz allegedly and the goal was and i'm reading this from lp hall the abolition of all monarchical forms of government and the substitution thereof the rulership of the philosophic elect that's straight out of plato's republic and that is the Enlightenment, broadly speaking. We're going to overthrow the monarchy, and then we're going to have these wise statesmen, these demo- so-called democratic leaders who are going to sort of come in. They're going to be men of science and reason, and they're going to bring in this golden age. So apparently the Rosicrucians instigated the French Revolution in 1789 and left their seal on the American Great Seal, As Manly P. Hall says, the American War of Independence represents their great political experiment and resulted in the establishment of a national government founded upon the fundamental principles of divine and natural law. As an imperishable reminder of their sub-Rosa activities, the Rosicrucians left the great seal of the United States. So then what happened to the Rosicrucians? Well, I think they still exist to this day. And they have a shrine in Georgia, known as the Georgia Guidestones, which is not far from the 33rd parallel, which is the highest rank of Freemasonry. So there is a shrine that looks an awful lot like Stonehenge, which was probably built by the Druids, another ancient priest cult of Britain and Ireland. Or aliens. Or aliens. <laughs> now, the the Georgia Guidestones are, are the most 
It's the most bizarre thing to find in the United States of America. So you can look it up. There's these eight giant stone tablets where there's basically a Ten Commandments for the Age of Reason written in eight different languages. And it says, unite humanity under one new language, just like the Tower of Babel speaks about. It also says to uh, have all religious faiths ruled by reason. So you have this idea of the philosophic elect. These are the initiates who are going to rule by reason alone. And then, very peculiarly, the first commandment says, keep humanity under 500 million people, which apparently calls for mass depopulation. And Plato said, uh, as an early advocate of eugenics, before it was called that, that only the best people should be allowed to reproduce. And uh, those who are unfit to live uh, should be killed when they're babies. He supported infanticide. I'm looking at the so the Georgia Guidestones, which you can go look at, by the way, if you're ever in um, Elbert County, Georgia. Um, they have on the stones, they have this, what you just said. The Ten Commandments of the Age of Reason. And to get even, well, see, and, this, well this, on that stone, you can read under 500,000 people. 500 million. 500 million? 500. Yeah, that's the first one. <laughs> five, we want five people. All right. <laughs> five, 500 million people. Yeah. Okay. Do you know how they came up with that number? It was just kind of just, well, I, we'll never well, get well, there. Well, nobody knows who built the tablets. Supposedly some guy with a ton of money went into a store and said, uh, I need some giant stones. And they built the <laughs> shrine in 1980. That's funny. And Hi, was... do you have giant stones here? <laughs> Sir, we're Home Depot. <laughs> yeah. 1980, yes, you're right. Yes, on March 22nd. Now, that is a day of esoteric significance. March 22nd, 322 is the numerical motto of the Skull and Bones Society at Yale, which is another secret society that we have to get into. Oh, yeah, I'm just start. I'm still reading about these stones that I didn't know about. It was unveiled to an audience of 100 to 400 people. Um, yeah, it doesn't really, it didn't really cover like how they were built at all. Yep. In 2008, the stones were defaced with uh, graffiti with slogans that said, Death to the New World Order. That's pretty awesome. All right, explain that. So this is... is I want to know what you think about it. Like, what, what did they mean by Death to the New World Order by... Well, because the, they're saying that this is this is this is the cabal. This is the esoteric elite which runs the world and wants to bring about a Tower of Babel, one world government. Right, and this is just like out in the random. Yeah, so the, well, guy, I, the guy who built this is a weirdo. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and I'd say it was more of a cabal. That. But yeah, so I got to finish up on the Rosicrucians, okay, and then yes, based right. on based on when they were erected. I, I'm going to steer it into another secret society at Yale, Skull and Bones. So here's one thing. That I can't go without reading this quote. This is what the Rosicrucians wrote in one of their uh, works. This was hundreds of years ago. This is when the Catholic Church still ruled Europe. And it was they were becoming aware that there was this secret society, the Rosicrucians. So they wrote this, Confessio Fraternitatis R.C. and Euroditos Europae. Whatever that means. But they said, <laughs> our language is like unto that of Adam and Enoch before the fall. And though we understand and can explain our mysteries in this our sacred language, we cannot do so in Latin, a tongue contaminated by the confusion of Babylon. So here they're claiming that they have a secret esoteric language that they have preserved since before the fall in the Garden of Eden. This was the language of Adam and his descendants up until the flood. I don't know if they actually believed that or not, but this is what they were claiming to various European monarchies and 
Uh, they have their own language. That's what they're claiming. And they claim that this language had been preserved since Adam, the first man in the Bible. So there's all these, these biblical references, this claim that they have their own secret teachings, their own secret language. They have this all preserved from before the nations were scattered across the face of the earth and then do different language formed. Okay. So one more secret society, a very important one. Then we'll get into the Georgia Guidestones and take that into the more modern stuff. So a huge, uh, well, the Rosicrucians were a huge influence on Adam Weisopt, who was a professor of canon law at the University of Ingolstadt and the founder of the Bavarian Illuminati. Now, Adam Weisopt believed, as is common even today, that as we discussed on the last podcast, all humans are just a blank slate. There's, mm-hmm. there's nothing to human nature at all. Everyone is inherently good. And the reason that there's evil in the world is because of the Catholic church, the Orthodox church, Islam, uh, the nuclear family, uh, patriotism, nationalism, etc. All of these institutions cause man to become corrupt. So Adam Weisopt, like all of these secret societies apparently wanted to form a school of enlightened statesmen who would govern the world and they would be governed by wisdom and virtue. And it was originally, the Illuminati was originally called the perfectibilists. They thought that they could perfect themselves, become so great, so moral, so disciplined that they could actually rule the whole world. And nobody would be allowed to question them because they would be the high priests. They would be uh, the, the elect And he wrote that hidden schools of wisdom, the mysteries, are the means which one day will free men from their bonds. These have in all ages been the archives of nature and of the rights of men, and by them shall human nature be raised from her fallen state. Then he says, princes and nations will vanish from the earth, and the world will be the dwelling of rational men. So that sums up everything right there. That is what they are trying to accomplish. This is apparently what the mysteries have been trying to accomplish for thousands of years. That's what I was just going to say. They all sound like the exact same, like they start off with the exact same. Right. It's it's the same premise. It's the same thing that we're going to bring back this tower of Babel. We're going to unite all of humanity under one language, one system. They claim that it's all about freedom and we're liberating people and we're going to create a utopia. It's going to be heaven on earth. Whether or not they actually believe they're doing something good deep down, who knows, because we're not initiates of these fraternities. Uh, but nevertheless, they do exist. Um, and so the Georgia Guidestones are saying the same thing. And here's what's interesting. They were erected on March 22nd, 1980. March 22nd is a day of esoteric significance. 322 is the numerical motto of the Skull and Bone Society at Yale University. Many high-profile elites in the United States are members of Skull and Bones. George W. Bush, George Bush Sr., John Kerry. Mm -hmm. So in 2004, two Skull and Bones members ran against each other for president. Now, the Skull and Bone Society only brings in 15 juniors at Yale every single year. So it is super, super selective. You can't apply to join. You can't rush the fraternity like you do at other fraternities in this country. You will be walking across Yale one day and someone will come up behind you, tap you on the shoulder and say, Skull and Bones or something like that and say, "Okay, meet here at this time for your initiation. And uh, I assume that most of them probably say yes. And they go to the tomb at Yale. It's literally called the tomb. It's this creepy old building. You have to say yes. Well, if you're at Yale... Would you you not say yes? I would definitely say yes. Well, if I didn't know anything about it, I'd be like, I'm going to check this out. But because I know... even knowing about it, I would say, yeah, yeah, I want to come. I want to join. Then you're you're enslaved to them forever. They're going to get dirt on you because... You know what they're going to do to you? They're going to make you lay down naked in a tomb. Right. Like Matt Damon and the Good Shepherd. And and masturbate as you reveal the deep secrets of yourself. So they always have something to blackmail you with. Do I have to go through with that? 
like i just want to see the inside of it and then if they're like hey masturbate in front of us i'd be like hold on i don't want to join anymore i don't want to be president that bad <laughs> who knows who knows maybe the moment you step or away. you just die yeah you yeah just never hear just yeah again. oh you don't want to join we're gonna to have to kill you because now yeah. you've seen the inside right and then we'll be able to cover it up because we control the media <laughs> and the police. Yeah. Okay, someone taps you on the shoulder. Let's get back to it. Skull and yeah. bones question mark? Okay. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's a, presumably what happens. So uh, people have actually snuck in there, though. So you don't have to join. You're not going to be able to sneak in there today. They've probably got security. That's unimaginable. But in the 19th century, some students at Yale snuck in. And they said on the wall was a slogan written in German, which basically says, who was the wise man? Who was the beggar or king, whether rich or poor? All is the same in death. This is the same ritual that is done in the Illuminati based on the documents that came out. There's this recurring theme of taking the initiate before skeletons or skulls and saying, which one is a king? Which one is a noble? Which one is a peasant? And the answer is basically nothing. All is the same in death. Mm -hmm. And I think it implies that, well, there's really no afterlife. This life is all that there is. So let's become gods. That's what it seems to mean to me. Now, the 322 is so significant because the 322 is a reference to Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, which is when God says, Behold, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to eat of the tree of life and live forever. So 322 is about this tree of life which means man becoming immortal, man becoming God. And according to Manly P. Hall, the tree of life was the symbol of the ancient mysteries. And the tree of life is a man, essentially, man becoming immortal. And so you have that with Skull and Bones, and I'd say that, well, Skull and Bones is just another offshoot of these mystery schools that are all teaching fundamentally the same thing. And, Couldn't uh, that be, you took it as, there's no afterlife. Couldn't that just be, I, I took that as a reference of, hey, you're going to die one day, so you might as well go for it right now. Perhaps, but. Or saying everyone's equal in the end. It's a possibility. No one, no one knows. But the fact that they have the tree of life as their symbol, which means man becoming immortal, man becoming God, seems to indicate that that's more along the lines of what that means. Just, just taken in reference to the other secret societies and what their whole objective is. Sure. They may think that they're doing a great thing. They may think that, well, the masses are so stupid. Uh, Manly P hall describes the masses as the profane. They are, they are not uh, educated enough. They are not smart enough. They're not sophisticated enough to be given all this occult and esoteric knowledge, uh, they just must be ruled over by the initiates who are the smart people, the philosophic elect. Well, I'm reading about the number 322. Yeah, it's very... Now, what, what about the... Say, there's say, the Wikipedia, which we all know is completely true, mm -hmm. is saying that it's um, the death of the Greek order... Demosthenes. Yeah, yeah, that's you that's, don't, you that's, don't buy that. That's another possible theory. That was the opinion of a historian named Anthony Sutton, who was a fellow at the Hoover Institution. Uh, he wrote a book on Skull and Bones called uh, um, "America's Secret Establishment." He thought it was it was the death of Demosthenes. Now that that is a possibility, but because the Tree of Life was the appointed symbol of the mysteries, and this does this is a recurring theme, and it is. 322 in the Bible, Genesis 322, it seems obvious to me that that's probably what it means. And just to close out the esoteric stuff before we get into the more political and business-oriented secret societies, on the Georgia Guidestones, below where it says erected on March 22nd, it says... Just just a quick thing. Esoteric, by the way, for people that are listening, means intended or likely to be understood by only a small number of people and a with a specialized knowledge of interest. Right. Right. So 
on the Georgia Guidestones, it says R.C. Christian. That's the person who erected them. That's And that's obviously the mythical founder of the Rosicrucian fraternity, Christian Rosencruz. And it says, R.C. Christian, a pseudonym. Not pseudonym, pseudonym, spelt with an N. Now, they spent all these all this money to erect these big stones. Why would they make a mistake of misspelling the word pseudonym? I don't think that was an accident. I think that was intentional. And lo and behold, if you treat R.C. Christian, a pseudonym, as an anagram, and you rearrange the letters, you find the term untarnished conspiracy. Pure conspiracy, in other words. Total conspiracy. I mean, someone commented, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm like, I'm showing like three things here. I don't know what this means. Robert Chapman? Is that some sort of, I feel like we have the Illuminati watching us right now and I'm going to look this up and my computer is going to explode. Every time someone types in Robert Chapman, make a computer explode. Yeah. Uh, he's part, Robert Chapman's part of the Department of Justice. I don't know what that kind of means. I don't know. Maybe he's going bones. Anyway, what were we talking about before? What, what, how did you end that Georgia thing? Sorry, I wasn't listening. I, I'm in a I'm in a rabbit hole here, dude. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm already on Deer Island. So it says on the Georgia Guidestones, you know, erected on three two two March twenty second nineteen eighty by R C Christian, a pseudonym. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh wait, and this guy just this guy is ahead of you, dude. Dot connector. This guy, this guy is way ahead of you. Okay, <laughs> I'm looking up Robert Chapman after this. <laughs> Something sinister is going on with Robert Chapman. All right, but anyway, it says it's an anagram, and it says it's an untarnished conspiracy. Okay. Oh, okay. I got yeah. it. Solid. Okay. So now, where do you want to go with this? We've now, now, yeah. Time. So, do you want to talk about Deer Island? By the way, <laughs> what's Deer Island? Uh, Deer Island is um, is a uh, island retreat owned by the Skull and Bones. Oh, it's a forty-acre retreat. I have heard of that. Yeah, it's an opportunity for bonesmen to get together and rekindle old friendships, quote unquote, mm -hmm. or have eyes wide shut parties, which is yeah. If I could skip to the eyes wide shut party portion of it, where I didn't have to masturbate in front of them, I think I'd join. <laughs> I mean, wear a mask. Okay, you know, uh, someone caught part of the Skull and Bones initiation ritual on camera in like 2000. There's a reporter for the Observer named Ron Rosenbaum, and he caught them screaming some bizarre stuff in the courtyard. They were saying the devil equals death, the hangman equals death, death equals death, mm -hmm. and then uh, apparently they had someone dressed up as George W. Bush. And he told the the new initiate, "I'm gonna ream you like I reamed Al Gore." Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of like uh, gay things going on. That's I heard there. yeah, yeah. That's, that's also to compromise you, right? Yeah, that's that's most likely what that's for. So if George W. Bush runs for president and wants to start saying something that's off script, they'll say, "Hey, Georgie, we have this video of you from when you were at Yale. You might want to shut up." <laughs> So, so what like what do you think the point is though? Like, does the Skull and Bones like have their own political agenda that they want to push? Are they like lobbyists? I like, think I like... think I think it's the agenda of of the Rosicrucians. I think it's it's this Masonic Tower of Babel world government and all the Skull and Bones members in power. They're all aligned. They're all with the establishment, whether they're Republican or Democrat. Right. They're gonna they're gonna keep the system going as it is. None of them are like Donald Trump style populists who are like make America great again. <laughs> they're never right. gonna say that. They are with the establishment. To me, it always goes back to oh, this politician was a Skull and Bones member, which leads you to think oh, okay, they're all interested in politician. Like it's all politics, right? Life I think it's business. more I, right. I think it's more a bunch of business people get together and they're like, well, we're going to need someone in politics. Get that 
idiot George Bush is walking down the corridor <laughs> and we'll go ahead and make him masturbate in front of us so that oil is drilled in <laughs> yeah. six years. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's basically you're guaranteed uh, success in politics, business. If you go into academia, there's a lot of Yale professors and administrators who are bonesmen, apparently. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, it was funny when John Kerry was running against uh, George Bush too, because they kept asking him about skull and bones. They did, and they yeah. Just, they were and like, they gave the it's same a secret. Yeah, <laughs> we can't talk about it. <laughs> I have a video. I was masturbating in front of John Kerry while I've he got... was also masturbating in front of me. <laughs> that would now I want to see that video. Oh That's my it. god! <laughs> just first for interest, no pleasure yeah. involved. Yeah. All right, so that's that's where the mysteries have led us. Now let's talk about the Bilderberg Group. Now this okay. is this is not an esoteric mystery school. This is just a bunch of business elites, political elites, royalty. Uh, Let me pause you there. Let me pause you there, because I want to get another cup of coffee here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a commercial, and when we come back. We're going to talk about the Bilderberg group. All right. I'm going to have to rush to get this cup of coffee. So if I'm not here when you get back, just kind of riff for five seconds. All right. Got it. <laughs> 60 iterations off the central finite curve. There's a Rick that works more with wood than polarity plating. His name is Simple Rick, but he's no dummy. He realized long ago that the greatest thing he'd ever create was his daughter. I love dad. We captured that moment. We run it on a loop through Simple Rick's mind. And the chemical that makes his brain secrete goes into every Simple Rick's Simple Wafer's wafer cookie. Come home to the impossible flavor of your own completion. Come home to Simple Rick. And we're back. You had to go meet with your Illuminati lizard masters in a dark, smoky room. I had to go meet with, uh, what was his name? Uh, Robert Chapman. Yeah, yeah, Christian Rosencruz. Okay, look at this. Chapman always called himself a Christian. He worked for the elite. He spoke several languages and lived near the Guidestones area at the time. He spent his final decades in hiding. We don't know. We're going to do our own research on Robert Chapman after this. Okay, let's talk about the Bilderberg Group. All right. So the Bilderberg Group was a project of, of U.S. and British intelligence after World War II, where they'd get the biggest political elites, business elites, royalty from Western Europe, North America, all together in a hotel to talk about the world. And it's typically 100 to 150 people. They meet in a hotel. They're surrounded by armed guards. No one gets in or out. And the media never covers it. The corporate media would never cover it. And still to this day, they don't cover it. Maybe every year, one establishment media outlet will write a little news story about it, but they'll dismiss it like, oh, it's no big deal. They're just getting together to have informal discussions. But the Bilderberg Group just met in Washington, D.C. last weekend, and The Guardian, the British newspaper, wrote uh, kind of a, a boring news story about it where they, they didn't say anything particularly interesting. But you have this this meaning of that many people and for some reason that's not interesting to the public to a point where the media just doesn't cover it right um which leads you to think that the media is uh, well we all know like why do these like elite people buy these media companies right well right the editor and get back to our other podcast where it's you know it's you want the media so you can control the narrative so that you can you know silence things you don't want people to know about and put a megaphone to the things that will distract us it's all been covered (sighs) yeah well the bilderberg group had a document leak out from 1955 where they planned out the eurozone they planned to integrate the european continent under as, as one economy with one currency and that was 1955 and the european union didn't come about until the 1990s so you have these plans being prepared decades in advance. And uh, something that should be said is the Bilderberg Group officially operates under the Chatham House rule. Chatham House, of course, is the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which we've discussed. 
So anything that's talked about inside cannot be spoken about publicly. That's the mm-hmm. official rule. And you assume they have dirt on people then too. Probably. Uh, some of the biggest attendees of the Bilderberg Group have been Henry Kissinger, who was Secretary of State and advisor to countless presidential administrations. David Rockefeller, who was the chairman of the board of directors at the Council on Foreign Relations and the CEO of Chase Bank. Uh, He was a big Bilderberg insider. And once again, David Rockefeller wrote in his memoirs, some even believe we are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists and of conspiring with others to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One world. If that's Mm -hmm. the charge, I stand guilty and I'm proud of it. That's exactly what he wrote in his memoirs. Just admitting, yeah, we want to build a one world government, a one world economy, a one world system. Mm -hmm. So that's what the Bilderbergers are obviously up to. And uh, like I said, when they have meetings, it's it's implied that, oh, they're just having informal discussions. It's just a way to get everyone together. But these originally events... invented, their agenda was to prevent another world war. Yeah. <laughs> I'm why does that need Which to be... seems like a good thing. Why does that need to be done in secret? <laughs> Isn't that what the UN very... is for? That's very true. I don't know. This is, uh, yeah, that's true. This isn't covered very often, is it? It is never covered. Like the first one is like Britannica.com. So I I emailed. Like it's in the encyclopedia. We covered it. Yeah. I had a a blog a few years ago and I was called the Freeway Post. And I emailed the Bilderberg Media Service. Yeah. I said, any comment on uh, this, this secret meeting of 100 to 150 of the world's elite? I said any of the U.S. politicians there are violating the Logan Act, which, Logan Act, which which restricts uh, U.S. officials from meeting with foreign agents without the approval of Congress. And of course, they just respond to me saying that they're just meeting for informal discussions and no policies are set, no conclusions are reached. Okay, okay. So all these elites fly in from all around the world to this hotel surrounded by armed guards just to have informal discussions and be like, Oh, Hey, David Rockefeller, how are you doing? That's an interesting idea. Maybe we'll discuss it in the future, but probably not. (laughs) Yeah. It's well, okay. So do you think they're all like, I, I kind of think it's, we tend to go to, Oh, this is all sinister. Right. I, think I still think it's like the majority is like we want like-minded people getting together and we don't want anyone to really know about it. I, I don't I, I don't necessarily think that's sinister. Well, I think there's people at the top who undoubtedly are sinister, but I think there's people who have attended Bilderberg that uh, they just went because they were invited and, and they thought it would be interesting. I bet these meetings are probably pretty boring most of the time. I bet they probably yeah. have. They have speakers just talking about really boring stuff. Um, but I think I think there's probably a lot of meetings that they're doing and they're meeting with people one on one and they're saying, all right, so in these next few months, I really want you to push this. Or I really want you to push that. So so like when they bring world leaders in there or future world leaders like Angela Merkel, Emmanuel Macron, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, they've all gone to Bilderberg. And when Obama was running for president in 2008, he randomly disappeared for a weekend. He was supposed to go to Chicago and the press team was on the plane waiting to interview him. And then the plane door shut, the plane took off and the press was like, where's Obama? And his, his uh, press spokesman was saying, well, he's got a meeting to go to. And they're like, what, what meeting? He's like, I can't tell you what the meetings are. And he was bobbling around like this. And, and they were all pissed because they just got on a flight to Chicago for no reason without yeah. Obama. And then and then the media, the corporate media was saying, oh, Obama and Hillary are apparently going to have a meeting together at Hillary Clinton's house in Washington. But then they said, well, the meeting didn't happen. Turns out the Bilderberg group was meeting just outside of D.C. that weekend Quite conveniently, when Obama and Hillary Clinton disappeared for a couple of days, 
I think I know where they went. And they probably took them in a room and they said, all right, it's time for the black president. So we're going to have a black president. Hillary, you step aside for eight years and then we'll make you the first female president. And they probably said, okay, that sounds good. And then Donald Trump came along. So you can see why Hillary Clinton's very mad because, you know, the, the lizards told her she'd be president. <laughs> so they don't have complete control. That's what you're saying. No, they don't have complete The people control. have some control left. Yeah. Well, it takes a billionaire like Donald Trump to come out of nowhere and shake things up. I suppose that's how bad the system is. Um, okay. So do you want to talk about any others that we forgot today? Um, the only one off the top of my head right now is the Bohemian Grove. Right. We did cover that. <laughs> the um, the big I, barbecue after the Bilderberg group. <laughs> yeah. That's like, see, so again, I think we have to normalize, like, look, do they burn things in front of an owl statue? Yes. Do they all get dressed up in robes? Sure. Does that actually mean it's like weird i'm i'm not sure i think we need to normalize a bunch of people getting together in robes and chanting in front of an owl statue i think i think they think it's like funny i think i think deep down they're just like oh this is kind of silly now that we've covered all these secret societies we need to talk about washington dc yeah and they invite a couple celebrities to like you know we're a bunch of stuffy politicians. Let's get a couple celebrities in here, loosen things up. I don't think there's like that much nefarious. If it's so public knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's like not that nefarious. Who knows? But Washington D.C. Washington D.C. is a is a very strange city when you come to understand it. Apparently, Thomas Jefferson said he wanted Washington D.C. to be dedicated to the pagan gods. Washington, D.C. is designed like a giant pentagram, but with the roads, but one of the sides of the pentagram is open. So people say Washington, D.C. is not a pentagram because if it was intended to be a pentagram, then they would have finished it. But then you Mm -hmm. read Faust by Goethe, who was an initiate of the Illuminati, and he says in that in that play that the pentagram is kept open at one side so that the spiritual energy can flow in. That's strange, but that appears to be how Washington, D.C. is designed. Now let's get into the great Egyptian obelisk, which we know as the Washington Monument. It's funny to see that all these people go to Washington, D.C., and they take pictures of the Washington Monument, but they don't realize that it's actually a giant penis. Yeah. And everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. <laughs> so you think that was like a, a joke, an inside joke? Sort of, but it's, it's, it symbolizes the, the erect phallus of Osiris, the Egyptian god, who, according to Egyptian legend, was murdered... And his body parts were scattered all across Egypt. And his wife, Isis, found all the body parts and put them back together. But she didn't find the penis. So lo and behold, the penis is in Washington, D.C. And it stands at 550 feet, 555 feet high and yeah. is 6,666 inches little strange 666 symbolism there is that true that is true because i'm seeing stretching true. 550 feet in the uh, air five five five, five. yeah five 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 six thousand six hundred sixty six inches oh okay. yep and i've also heard that it's a hundred and i can't do the math off the top of my head but uh 100, basically 111, yeah, 111 feet underneath the ground, which would make the whole structure 666 feet high. Okay, just so anyone who's commenting or thinking in their head this isn't true, the Smithsonian Magazine has, <laughs> has confirmed that, yes, it is designed around the ancient Egyptian uh, penis. <laughs> Let's, I want to simplify 
But it gets better. It, it yes, it, it is in subtlety a giant dick. <laughs> it gets better. So the Egyptians had these obelisks. They had an obelisk of of Osiris's penis, and they would have it by the Nile. And then they would have a new pharaoh when they would initiate, when they would inaugurate the new pharaoh. They would bring him from the penis up the Nile into a big dome-like building, which would symbolize Mm -hmm. the womb of Isis. And then the new pharaoh would come out of the building in front of the obelisk by the Nile and be initiated as the new pharaoh. So it kind of makes sense. I mean, when you really think about it. The United States Capitol has a giant dome right across from yeah. Osiris's penis, and then the new president comes out right. of the womb to be initiated as yeah, that makes sense to me. A president slash pharaoh of the United States. Mm-hmm. All right. So I just want to Matt Wolf commented here. What do you think of this, Aiden? Just caught the tail end. You might have said this. He thinks Hillary should have been president with Obama as the vice, and that they would have had control for a long time. Um, that probably would have been better than, uh, Joe Biden because no, he's talking about originally. I know. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that, that would have been a good strategy for, for them. I think then Hillary could have just used that as leverage to run for president. And then that would actually have been good for her because then she wouldn't have been the secretary of state. And that's where she toasted her career. Cause she was an awful secretary of state. She, destroyed libya she had the awful email scandal so yeah if she was vice president then she'd be no no um, obama was vice president she would be president oh i thought he meant the other way around um no he said well if hillary was president hillary should have been president with obama's vice oh they would have if hillary was ever president of the united states she would have uh destroyed the country just like she destroyed libya so no that would not have been good Obama was already bad enough. Okay, there you go, Matt. Sorry. Yeah. But you uh, anyway, are, here's, you were wrong. Here's our everyone current. knows you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, he's the Pharaoh. Yeah. Outside. <clears throat> that was interesting. And I think we have only scratched the surface. I will still keep my original statement of I think these are just um kind of lame well not lame i don't want to say that because they're very powerful but it's like a bunch of the kids that weren't with the popular Mm. kids in high school and couldn't make the uh you know popular frats in college like why don't we just control the world and then you know then that'll really get them yeah i think it's a lot of pent-up frustration I'll, i'll say one more thing and then i'll be done so if they're not sinister one question I have is why did the Freemasons embed so many of their symbols in Netflix's original series Squid Game? Because the Masonic initiation ritual is when the initiate is brought in and there's a checkerboard floor and then there's a triangular table and they are basically told that if you ever reveal the secrets of Freemasonry, your tongue will be tied, cut out, your throat will be cut and your body will be buried beneath the sand of the shore at low tide. Uh, so that's the punishment that is prescribed to Masons who reveal the secrets. In Squid Game, at one of the final episodes, when there's only three people left, three is an important Masonic number, they bring them into a room for a nice dinner before they go to the final stages of the games. And there's a checkerboard floor. Mm-hmm. And there's they sit at a triangular table. It is obviously Masonic. And the whole symbol of the show where you have the square, that's the four corners of the earth, which is a Masonic term. Then you have the triangle, the pyramid, obviously another Masonic term. And then the circle at the top, which is mm-hmm. the tiny enlightened elite. So the Masonic symbolism is 
well, I'd say it's 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 everywhere in Squid Game, especially in that scene where they have to checkerboard floor. So if they're not, well, I think that whole show is about secret. It's a you know, it's yeah, based around it a is. secret society. Yeah, so, yeah. They, obviously, the person would be inspired by researching secret societies and probably just using the was exact he same was symbolism. he was he just researching it, or were they intentionally embedding their symbols in the show that is an allegory of how the world works? Well, that might be the case. I think it was probably research. I, but they, it doesn't really matter because their symbols are everywhere. I mean, they're on the dollar bill. They're, you know, they're on buildings, as we mentioned. So I think that's more of like the people in power putting all of the symbols everywhere. Possibly. only. What is the owl? What's the thing with the owl? If you look the, at the one dollar bill in yeah. the upper right hand corner, there's an owl. There's it's, an owl that they burn at the Bohemian Grove or yeah, they build, well, burn like a body. There's like several things. there's 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 several pagan owl gods. The one that you see most frequently is um Minerva, which was the the Greek uh god of wisdom, is symbolized by an owl. And that was one of the appointed symbols of the Illuminati. They had the all-seeing eye as one symbol, the other symbol was uh Minerva, the owl. Then Moloch is the Canaanite god of child sacrifice. That's another owl deity. But you find these owls very frequently in the United States. You find it on the dollar. Also, the Capitol, if you look at it from an aerial view, the Capitol lawn and the building looks like a giant owl with two big eyes. That's really creepy. <laughs> uh so so yeah, the so owl. There's just those two. There, there, there's yeah. many others, but those well, are the important ones. Those are the important ones. But then Jake Sullivan, who's our current uh, national security advisor uh, was an assistant to Hillary Clinton when she was secretary of state. And uh, he was corresponding with her about uh, a, a speech that they were writing about the Gaddafi government when they were overthrowing Syria or overthrowing uh, Libya. And he asked Hillary if, if a, if a statement violated the owl Minerva rule, and in an email, like, yeah. Yeah, and what, is, what does that mean? What, and he's a Rhodes Scholar, so what are these people initiated into? What do they know that we don't? What What is the Owl Minerva rule? And then they're like, no, no, it doesn't, it doesn't, or whatever. And the next email response was, Minerva agrees. And it's like, what? <laughs> what does Minerva agree to, and how do you know? Do they have, All right, let me, let me tell you something, an, Joe. Do they have an oracle? <laughs> let me tell you something, Joe. They order $4,000 worth of hot dogs, okay? And and if you do the math, hot dogs do not cost that much. And they say, get the hot dogs ready for the hot tub, okay? Oh. So, so you connect those dots, and it's child sacrifice. <laughs> it's male prostitutes. <laughs> and if, I don't care if Obama is gay, okay? I don't yeah. care if Obama is gay. But I'm just telling you, hot dogs don't cost that yeah. much. yeah. I think I'm. I think, I think I'm going to follow uh, Jake Sullivan on Twitter or Instagram, and I'm just going to start commenting all this owl stuff. About yeah, Min I think you Minerva. should. He'll put a caption, some political statement, and just every single one. Minerva agrees. <laughs> but we're not sure about Moloch yet. <laughs> all right, I think that was a good episode. Um, Bill Clinton, big owl guy, by the way. Bill Clinton's a big owl guy. Loves <laughs> Moloch. Loves Moloch. He talked about the Bohemian Grove uh, <laughs> when he was asked about it one time. He's like, isn't that where all those rich Republicans run run around naked and piss up against redwood trees? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Like, he hasn't. He was asking <laughs> he's, to he's be never, there. Yeah, he's never been there. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's too busy taking those private jet planes to the... Yeah, he's, he's 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 got he's got a, a better owl place. <laughs> Why is Bill Clinton on Masterclass? <laughs> I subscribed to Masterclass, and they're like, "Hey, learn whatever from Bill Clinton." I'm like, "It's it's like even the media has said this guy was on this plane to a sex trafficking island like fourteen different times." He's protected by the owls. <laughs> Drake also uses an owl as a symbol. Could there be a connection? Who knows? All right, moving on. Do you have anything to say? Who's that governor that just got ousted in San Francisco? Or, or mayor or something? 
I wanted to ask you about that, but may, we'll, we'll save that for another. We'll episode. save that. Okay. Um, thank you for joining today. I thought it was good. I think we, we broke new barriers again. It's Saturday, but as we know, it's always Friday night. Thanks for joining. Friday night. I'm thinking that we just might fly away to someplace they don't know who we are. Now I'm riding shotgun in your car. We drive through the city like explorers going 65. Flowing hair flying across your face. We left on Friday. Now it's Saturday. Press jeans buttoned up. Jeans iron slipping up. Red shoes walking slow. Headphones blaring three stacks. Sunglasses flaring out. Thick watch hanging low. Studded belt pulled taut. Three stacks on the radio. Friday night. I'm thinking that we just might run away to some place we we can be who we are we can be who we are